Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. It is Thursday, September 16th, 2021. Excited to be with everybody today because I've got a great co-host fill in for Gina Bacola, who's covering Thursday Night Football, as you guys know out there. So check him out whenever you get a chance after you listen to the show, of course. But longtime friend of the show. In fact, he was inducted into the Mike Abadir Show Hall of Fame about two years ago already. So he's a Hall of Famer. Talking about none other than Rick Saratella of the NFL Draft Bible of Sports Illustrated. Rick, how are you, my friend? Mr. Abadir, you know I got my gold jacket on. The Mike Abadir <laughs> Show Hall of Fame representing and with Miss Eugenio. But hey, I love chopping it up a little East Coast to West Coast. Spread love worldwide some and uh, just looking forward to this, Mike. You know, it's one of those shows that has so many tie-ins. So many, like, related subjects when I was looking at, you know, some of the topics for today. And one is right out of the gate here. Uh, Salvador Perez of the Kansas City uh, Royals just hit a home run to tie or to beat Johnny Bench's all-time home run record for a catcher. And uh, that's not getting a lot of play nationwide, but, man... Catchers have been around for a long time, right? They're an integral part of the game. And he just hit his, what is that, 40-something, 40, 40 I think 45. Yes, he had his 45th home run against the Oakland A's today. We'll talk about that in a little bit, Rick. The other thing we're going to talk about is also related to Kansas City, but on the other side, which is the Chiefs and how that relates to USC and Los Angeles. Maybe we'll get some answers from our first guest who covers the Kansas City Chiefs, and that is none other than Matt Derrick. He's going to be on in a few moments here. So USC and the Kansas City Chiefs, what do you know? Let me set the table for this one here. The Trojan family has been hurting for a long time, right? They keep thinking that they found their guy. I'm of the mindset that since Pete Carroll left, they really have not had a philosophy to stick with. They have not had a vision or a game plan for the immediate future or the long term. And why do I say that? Look at the list, man. Sarkeesian and Kiffin and, and you know, he had a chance to get to lock up Coach O and now Clay, Clay Helton and he's dismissed. What are you thinking over there? And then we're going to tie it into why what this has to do with the Kansas City Chiefs in a moment. But since you follow the draft and the universities and coaches all over the professional and college ranks, what are your thoughts about the USC void at what they're doing, Rick? What What are your recommendations? If you were athletic director, what would you do? I just loaded you the, with a bunch of questions. Start at any one of those. Oh, I love the challenge. Thank you so much for this, because right away, I'm going to just clean house. We don't know how to recruit. We don't know how to keep the best players in Los Angeles in our own backyard. 
And so we're going to have to bring in somebody that is a CEO type. Nick Saban ain't out there talking about X's and O's. He's got really qualified coaches to do that. He's out there recruiting the Jimmy and Joe's. And when Nick Saban shows up, people pay attention. And you need that kind of presence. You don't necessarily need this great football mind. You need somebody to really be the head of a major Power 5 football program, which essentially is somebody who's running a business. And when USC is a dominant force, college football is a better product for it. And they just haven't been able to be relevant and be significant. And they have one of the best collegiate quarterbacks, in my opinion, in Caden Slovis. But, you know, listen, there's a lot of blame to go around. There's a lot of fingers that we could point to. And I just think they need somebody with those Cali grassroots that can connect with the players and really just build this program back up again from the ground floor. I mean, that's what really needs to be done here. Uh, You know, I I hear you loud and clear, man. I don't think it helps when you get your butt whipped by Stanford. I think that was the uh, final straw for Coach Helton. It also doesn't help when your crosstown rivals looking pretty good. They got a big name, flashy head coach. They've got... uh, some some nice wins under their belt. They've got some good momentum. And SC just can't stand for that, man. They, it, it drives them crazy. They're supposed to be the only show in town. They were the only NFL-type team in this area for a long time. They don't like sharing that spotlight. They definitely don't like being below, let's just say, the Angels or the Mighty Ducks in terms of Southern California popularity. Because at one point they were kind of rivaling the Lakers and the Dodgers, who are the two most you know interesting teams in SoCal. The two teams that are uh, people out here are passionate about. Let's just say. Let, let's let's talk about the Kansas City tie into this story for a quick moment here, as we are now joined by our first guest from the Chiefs Digest, Matt Derrick. You're on with Mike and Rick. What's going on, Matt? Hey, not too much, guys. Yeah, that's a little bit of uh, Eric Bieniemy talk in USC, isn't there? There sure is. So, w- what are you hearing? What do you know? Obviously, anytime something like this comes up, and you're talking to somebody who is employed, they focus on their employer. They focus on the week at hand. But what are you hearing from Chiefs camp? Are they worried about him leaving? What is the succession plan if he does leave? I know that uh, Coach Reed does a lot uh, with the offense anyways. But just give us your general thoughts and if you've heard anything. Yeah, and we get, did get to talk to Eric Bieniemy today about that. And, you know, and, and he, uh, I would say, probably deflected the questions uh, pretty well. I mean, after the third or fourth time he got asked about it, he was starting to get tired of answering the questions. Um, and that's probably understandable. But uh, very, very hard to believe Eric Bieniemy would leave for a job like that in season. I mean, if, if USC wants him, I think that they would have to wait until he's done in Kansas City and, and unfortunately, that's probably not going to be until January or early February. Um, you know, his, his statement today is, "I am where my feet are," and you know, he's pre- preparing to play for the Ravens, preparing to play against the Ravens, all of that, uh, the usual, you know, talking points. Um, but uh, between the lines, I mean, there's certainly the indication is that hey, this is being discussed. Uh, certainly, the impression that that is being left is that you know he's had some conversations about it. How deep that is. 
don't really know at this point, haven't really heard anybody saying that it's anything serious or anything close to a done deal or anything like that. Uh, but like I said, I mean, if USC wants him, I have a hard time believing, just knowing Eric Bieniemy and getting to know him over the, over the years, of him leaving in the middle of a season. I mean, as much as he wants to be a head coach, and, and I think he would settle for a college coaching job, but uh, obviously an NFL coaching job is his first love. And uh, as you mentioned there at the end, I mean, you know, as far as the tie-ins to, to Los Angeles, I mean, he's a Los Angeles guy. So uh, if there were any coaching jobs that he would be interested in, I think it's pretty clear to either be his alma mater in Colorado or a, a job like USC back in Los Angeles. You know, and, uh, and Rick, maybe you could chime chime in on this a little bit, too. I was always under the impression, and I know people who are pretty close with uh, Coach Bienemy, and I was always under the impression over the last few years that he was striving towards a an opportunity to get a head coaching job in the NFL, that he was trying to line himself up for interviews uh, for coaching vacancies in the NFL. Rick, uh, what, what what are your thoughts, just really quickly, uh, between college and pro prospects for uh, Bienemy. Well, it's Rick Rick Saratella here. I just want to get my name on the record because my understanding is Eric Bienemy is not a head football coach because of his qualifications. Eric Bienemy is not a head football coach because some of the you know things that have transpired off the field back in the day, dating back to his days at Colorado. So uh, my understanding is, hey, if he gets announced as the head coach, there might be some PR. Uh, damage control that needs to be done here. And I think a lot of us in the media that are well-connected, I've talked about this on my show on numerous occasions, and when you talk, when, when, when the name Eric Bannany comes up in NFL circles, they just tell you, hey, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's the issue with Eric Bannany. Well, sticking with Eric for a quick second, Matt, how much of his imprint is – truly on the offense out here on the West coast, you know, you kind of hear different things, but obviously if you're in that region, you probably know the situation a lot better, especially if, if one is an insider, such as yourself, who, who, who's calling the plays, who's designing the plays and who has more of an impact on game day with respect to the offense. Well, you know, I probably put it best in Andy Reid's words uh, to a degree. I mean, it's a it is a collaborative process, but at the same time, Andy Reid's got veto power over everything. Um, so, you know, hey, nothing that that offense takes place without Andy Reid say so. But at the same time, everybody's got a voice, and 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 Eric Bieniemy certainly has his voice. I think you see even you know his his handprints on elements of the offense, especially in the run game. Um, uh, I think a, a little bit you know the offensive line work. I think you can see his imprints, but you know specifically, I think you see his imprints in just the mentality of the team. I mean, um, it, you know, Eric Bieniemy is to a large degree, I mean, an old-school football coach. I mean, he's the motivator type. He's not necessarily, and maybe this is an unfair criticism, and maybe it's something that just has been the stereotype that's built up over the years, but, you know, it's been that he, maybe that he's a less of an X and O's guy and more of the, the motivational guy. And, you know, I think it actually, to me, I could see the CEO kind of approach working for him as a college coach. He's obviously had some experience at the college level, although, you know, his offensive coordinator record wasn't necessarily fantastic. But at the same time, I think he's probably learned a lot under Andy Reid in his time in Kansas City. And and to Rick's point, you know, absolutely. I mean, you know, last year 
I think you heard a little bit more of the rumblings behind the scenes that maybe there's things in, in Eric Bieniemy's past that are the cause of him not getting jobs. But then again, it's also really hard to see you know some guys continuing to get jobs when they've got concerns that are you know much more in their very recent past than you know maybe some indiscretions in Eric Bieniemy's youth. So, you know, you kind of hear both of it, but, you know, the one thing that you hear a lot in Kansas City is, and maybe this is true, maybe it's just rumor, but is that, you know, the NFL can't really stand by and let another coaching carousel go by without Eric Bama getting a job because he's just too much of the poster child for diversity problems in the NFL. So uh, I'm sure the NFL would love to see Eric Bama get a head coaching job, whether it's college or the NFL. But, hey, if another carousel goes through without him landing a job, it's going to raise a lot of questions. Very, very interesting points. Before we look ahead to uh, Baltimore for this upcoming weekend, let's spend a minute talking about last Sunday, the game against the Cleveland Browns. Final score ended up looking pretty, uh, you know, pretty tight, like it was a competitive game that it was. But really, it was a tale of two different halves. Would you say the first half was more about the Cleveland Browns are just uh, on an upward trajectory or some more about the Chiefs miscues? And once they kind of got into the rhythm, they played Kansas City Chiefs football. Yeah, you know, I mean, the Chiefs had a few miscues, but honestly, I mean, I think you have to give the, the Cleveland Browns for being the better team on that football field for 50 minutes. I mean, they, they played a near perfect game for almost three and a half quarters. And, you know, and probably at this point, I mean, I think that game illustrates maybe the difference between the chiefs and the rest of the AFC at this point is simply composure. Uh, I think there's teams that are on their level. Cleveland now has given the chiefs two really tough fights in a row. Uh, going back to the, the, the playoff game last January when they, they really you know gave uh, Patrick Mahomes a rough time. Um, and then again this week, this first half, you know he had a rough time of it. Uh, I think you give a ton of credit to the Browns. Uh, I think they are a team that's close to the Chiefs. It's just do they have that mentality that the Chiefs have right now to, to stay composed when the game is getting tight, um, to avoid mistakes late. And to be able to make the big plays, and you know, right now the the Chiefs have that swagger. I mean, from their quarterback on down, and when you got the guys that can make plays and keep their heads cool in big situations, that's that's the difference between I think the Chiefs and the rest of the AFC right now. So when I look at that game, I think to myself, "Wow, Tyreek, eleven catches, almost two hundred yards. Kelsey is a force, two touchdowns." I then look at the rest of the stat sheet and kind of wonder who's the number three guy. Um, I know that they have high hopes for their second year running back out of LSU, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Uh, you know, Michael Hardman, you know, people keep talking about him taking that step forward. Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, same thing for all of them. Maybe even Daryl Williams, who didn't get, he wasn't involved in too many plays. But who's kind of like that third choice, that third favorite target? Is it because th- those guys are all so equally talented that it just kind of gets spread up, spread out amongst all of them? Or is there a guy who we could kind of look for to, to really, really take another step forward and to be kind of that, uh, you know, maybe not even one and one a type guy, but somebody that by the end of the year, we're like, you know what? There's just too many stars to cover on this offense. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the, the million-dollar question for Chiefs fans right now is, you know, who is basically the number two wide receiver behind you know, Tyreek Hill? Because uh, on paper, you'd probably say that it's McCole Hardman, especially as far as production goes. Uh, he's not necessarily that far ahead as Demarcus Robinson, as far as just, you know, what his resume looks like. But I think you'd say, and especially as far as talent goes and everything else, I mean, McCole Hardman should be that guy. But, you know, honestly, you look at the Chiefs over the last few years, and um, even when they had Sammy Watkins, you know, it was, uh, they didn't always play with Sammy Watkins. And even uh, they've had a few games when they've had to play without Tyree Kill as well. And they've never really had a drop-off because, you know, it's been a case of when those two guys, one of them goes down or even both of them have been down, there's somebody else. You know, you saw the Demarcus Robinson game, you know, when he goes off against the, the Raiders a couple of years ago. Um, there always seems to be a, you know, a Byron Pringle has had his game. There's been the McCall Hardman games. Um, but it's not, none of those guys have really been able to put together any stretch of consistency of being able to be the reliable target. And, and I think that there's also part of it is that when the Chiefs are behind in a game like they were against Cleveland most of the way, um, Mahomes goes to the guys he trusts and the guys who you can consistently get open and that he knows that even if they're not open, he can throw the ball to them and they're going to make a play. And that's Hill and Kelsey. So uh, it may just be that this wide receiver group, we're not going to know you know, who is the number two guy until they have to play without Hill or without a Kelsey. And chances are, that's going to happen. And when it does, my expectation is one of those guys will step up. But right now, it just doesn't feel like there's any oxygen um, in this offense for anybody else because Kelsey and Hill just take everything. I agree, Matt. I think you got to worry about the depth here because they never really adequately replaced the guy like Sammy Watkins, even a Chris Conley who was serviceable, no longer there. So suddenly, you know, McCall Hardman, where in the past he was maybe wide receiver three, four, or five, you're counting on him to be number two. And if Tyreek Hill does get a little knickknack injury, now he's your number one. These are not the Kansas City Chiefs of yesteryear. And my next question is the offensive line, because, hey, it looks great on paper, but anytime you got five new starters, I'm always like, hey, I got to see it before I believe it. It looks great there on paper, but hey, there's got to be some chemistry. They got to mesh here and really gel as the season wears on, I believe. Where, what did you see from the offensive line? Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of optimism, especially in the, in the building for the Chiefs with an offensive line, but you're right. I, I think it was a little bit of hit and miss. Um, in that first game. And some of it's certainly going to be Mahomes and that line, you know, learning their own tendencies. Uh, I think there was a couple of points where, you know, Orlando Brown and Lucas Niang as the tackles on the outside, they need to learn where Mahomes wants to set up in a pocket and be able to establish that. Uh, you know, and sometimes Mahomes has a tendency to drift. He'll tell you that. And I think he even drifted maybe into a couple of those pressures on Sunday by just maybe stepping outside of where he should have been and, you know, or maybe walking into a little bit of the pressure. Um, but some of that is, like I said, you, you mentioned, I mean, it's chemistry. It's those guys getting to, to know each other. I think the, the bigger concern probably on Sunday against the Browns was that it didn't look like there was a lot of holes for the run game. Man. They, they weren't, did not run the football terribly effectively, um, and even in some short yardage situations, 
we saw the Chiefs go back to their old tendencies that instead of you know being able to commit to the run, um, they're putting Blake Bell in as a, a quarterback sneak. Um, they were they lined up for a couple of fake plays. They had a a uh, pass to Mike Rimmers, the offensive lineman. I mean, those were the things that the Chiefs used to do in short yardage and in red zone situations when they didn't have a meaty offensive line to push people around. And now they, they seem like they have that, and they're still, they didn't push anybody around on Sunday. Um, you know, on, if you're a half glass of water's full kind of person, you can say, hey, that's a very tough front seven that you just went up against against Cleveland. It's early in the season with a new group. Um, that's why I think the you know against Baltimore. I mean, you really need to see a little bit more commitment to the run because this should be a group that honestly, I mean, this this, this offense should be able to run the football a little bit against the Ravens. And if they don't, then I think there's going to be some questions. You know, it's just how long is it going to take for this offensive line to gel? You know, you may, you bring up so many very interesting points. One of the more fascinating things to me from this game was that Cleveland was able to uh, outgain the Chiefs, both on the air and in the ground, they uh, had had great games, 300 yards passing, over 150 yards rushing. They showed a very balanced attack. The fascinating thing to me, though, was there, there are two numbers that I could throw out uh, that really show us why the Chiefs won. The first one is they were 9 for 13 on third down efficiency. 9 for 13 is terrific, whereas the Browns were just 2 for 7. And then the other thing is the obvious one, which is the two turnovers by Cleveland, zero for the Chiefs. Looking ahead to Baltimore, what are you expecting? More more of the same, maybe a better defensive effort. Obviously, they're going up against a very different style of offense. So maybe just a quick, uh, quick word or two before we get to the commercial on what you're expecting offensively and a better defensive effort, hopefully, for Chiefs, for the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, you should certainly see a better defensive effort because obviously this is a Baltimore group that's very banged up that they're going up against. So, you know, the opportunity is there for the defense to have a big game. And obviously this has been, you know, a streak now that the Chiefs have had with the Ravens that they've had their number. Um, so, you know, this is a, for the Chiefs, it'd be, this should be a favorable matchup, but it's going to come down to, you know, can they stop Lamar Jackson? I mean, like they have done that to this point. Um, but that's the guy that, that's the X factor. I mean, that's the guy that you got to be worried about. And as Steve Spagnuolo said, you know, he, he still ex- today he he expects that whoever's going to be in the backfield with Lamar is going to be productive. You know, what they have to do is they have to defend the scheme. They know what Baltimore's going to do, no matter who is in there, no matter who's on the offensive line. The Ravens are going to be who they are, and you, you just have to make sure that you can contain that. And based on the, the recent history, Chiefs have done that. I mean, they have kept Lamar in check. They have been able to create some turnovers. That's exactly what they're going to have to do. I mean, you know, as, as Andy Reid likes to say, I mean, the winners in the NFL, you get, it comes down to situational football. And the Chiefs are struggling in some of the same areas situationally that they did last year. Um, they need to improve in the red zone. They, they need to improve in some short yardage situations. Um, but if they can win the turnover battle and, once again, I mean, win, win on third downs, that's the key to winning for the Chiefs right now. Good stuff, Matt. Really appreciate it. For our listeners, i got a lot of uh, friends that happen to be Kansas City Chiefs fans. Shout out to MindShift, by the way. Uh, where can they uh, find your work? How could they follow you on social media? Absolutely. Go to uh, ChiefsDigest.com. And I'm uh, 
very frequently on Twitter. So you can usually find my, probably my better stuff's on Twitter than rather the on Chiefs Digest. So follow me on Twitter at Matt Derrick. Yeah, he's a good Twitter follow for sure. Matt, always appreciate having you on, man. We'll check in with you later on during the campaign as hopefully the Chiefs keep ruling and uh, producing a lot of good storylines for you to be able to talk and write about. Sounds like a plan. Take care, guys. Great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you, that Matt. Is Matt Derrick from the Chiefs Digest. Appreciate him joining us. Rick, let's take a quick commercial timeout. We'll come back, talk more NFL, and maybe a little bit about the uh, MLB races. Stay with us, everyone. We will be right back after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back with the NFL Draft Bibles, Rick Saratella, Sports Illustrated's Rick Saratella, does it all, covers it all better than anybody out there. Rick, we were just talking on break. We continued the conversation that we just had with uh, Matt Derrick regarding Eric Bieniemy, And I guess just to kind of conclude that conversation, my thoughts are this. USC is kind of the holy grail for co- college head coaching jobs. You know, there's a few teams out there. I was mentioning like the, you know, the Yankees, the Celtics, the Lakers, um, at, at, in the collegiate football level, you know, you're talking about at least over the years historically, even when they're down, whether it's Texas, Florida, Florida State, for a long time it was the U, Michigan, Notre Dame, and USC, uh, along with any SEC school. <laughs> um, you you kind of don't say no to them if you're serious about coaching at that level. You have the best tools for recruiting the best facilities at those places and an opening only comes up every so often because typically speaking when those guys perform 
it's your job for a long time. So you may not get an opening at Florida State for 30 years, right? Uh, that's kind of my take on it, Rick. Yeah, it's interesting because I kind of had this, uh, similar sentiments to one of my younger staff members, and he was like, USC? Really? They're a storied program? Like, <laughs> it's been a while. And so maybe the allure and some of that luster and it has kind of shined off. But, you know, to your point, uh, there's some work that can be done here. Guys like Herm Edwards, guys like Marvin Lewis, I mean, they're going to Arizona State and trying to build a program. And these are, you know, well-known, successful NFL head coaches, Marvin Lewis as an assistant. I mean, they've got Antonio Pierce on that staff, and, and Herm has all kinds of NFL types of coaches there. So you have all the resources in the world. You can really be, and remember now, when Dabo Sweeney took over Clemson, when Nick Saban left Miami for Alabama, they weren't world beaters now. But they were able to resurrect those programs and take them back to the top and Eric the enemy could be that guy for USC. So if I'm the Trojans, I'm doing everything I can. I'm going all in. I'm making a I'm making a splash. I want tidal waves in the baby pool. Bring me Eric sleeping with the enemy. Okay. Give us a couple other names either that you're hearing or that you would endorse for that position, assuming that the enemy stays put for right now. And is there a possibility that SC just comes to the conclusion, you know what, we're just going to stick the interim tag on for as long as it takes until we find that right guy, even if that means on through the bowl game. Is that even a possibility? I think it's a possibility because I think any credible head coach will have second thoughts about just injecting himself. Like, hey, what am I getting myself into? Uh, I got to install a new offense, <laughs> install a new defense, maybe find a coaching staff. Oh, by the way, prepare for a game. Oh, by the way, you know, figure out who's opting out, who's using the four game criteria to, you know, enter the transfer portal. So there's a lot to digest here. And so I do think that some of the stronger candidates might think twice about just jumping into that situation. And USC is just going to have to play it by a case by case situation but again i'll go back to and i'm a jersey guy right mike so i don't know uh usc like the back of my hand but i'll tell you this i've seen it all at this stage of the game heck you could throw Keyshawn johnson as head coach for all i care because you know Deion sanders is doing it now eddie george is doing it now and i think there's a big part again to connecting to the players the head coach if he has the necessary coach like Eric, the enemy, could go over to USC, go hire Doug Peterson right now, and Doug Peterson can run the same exact offense, and Eric, the enemy, could be that CEO. All valid points, very interesting points. You know, speaking of plugging guys into situations, there are a couple of NFL teams that I kind of want to redirect our focus to and those are the 49ers and the Ravens. Each of those teams has taken a big hit in their running back position. You know, based on the type of guys that come out each and every year, my observation as an NFL agent has been, you have top-tier running backs that come out every year, and then you have, like, a big, big tranche of 
late rounder, undrafted free agent guys who are all pretty good, but kind of rate very similarly. It's more a matter of who fits your system better. So I guess my question to you, Rick, is this. Knowing that we that each of these teams has a depth chart and it's next man up mentality, at what point, how deep do you, can you get to the depth chart where now there is a drop-off at the running back position talent-wise? Or is it pretty much, hey, man, if you're on any of these rosters, plug anybody in, and because of our scheme, they're going to flourish. Start with the 49ers, and then let's get to Baltimore. Yeah, and I would answer that question with the question, hey, go find me the last first-round running back that carried a team to the Super Bowl. Go find me that guy, and then we'll talk. So to me, like running backs are a dime a dozen. I would never take a first-round running back. Go look at Ezekiel Elliott. Go look at Saquon Barkley. Tell me how they're doing. They're always banged up. They're always nicked up. And quite honestly, like go tell me Barry Sanders was awesome. Uh, never really ever won a playoff game. Um, you know, Earl Campbell, you know, did he ever win the Super Bowl? No, not really. And so, you know, it, it's hard to justify. I guess you got to go back to Jim Brown and pre-Super Bowl. You know, the, the, the Browns won 10 championships on the back of Jim Brown. And so I would say that he was really the guy who was able to get that done. Uh, Emmett Smith, I mean, you know, he had the big three with Irvin and Aikman, and that was a heck of a team. So I don't know if, if Emmett exactly carried that team on his back. But what, what I will say is that running backs, I can go find a street free agent. I can plug and play. And running back is the easiest position to adjust to. Uh, you talk to a coach at the NFL level, and you say, hey, this guy, you know, he don't have it really between the ears, or he's got some off the field issues. The coach will tell you, hey, I just need them to see ball, take ball, run ball. Uh, it's really an easy adjustment. So it's, if you need a running back, I can find you one. Just hit me up. Let me know. I got, a, I got a lot of disposable running backs that can play at the NFL level right now. I will say this, though. You saw it with the 49ers last year. They got decimated by injuries more than any organization in the National Football League. They just could not bounce back from that. And they're, they're experiencing it in the backfield. But look at the Ravens. 13 players, 13 players on the IR week one. Are you kidding me? You just can't win in the National Football League with 13 players on the IR. I know it's next man up mentality, but when a 30-year roster is on the IR, you just can't win on Sunday. Well, that's an interesting point because even with the 49ers, you know, despite all those injuries and they had a down year last year, the one thing that they did do a pretty good job in was running the ball, Right. They even had guys like Jeff Wilson. Remember how many games Jeff Wilson just crushed it for the 49ers? And he was, what, maybe yeah. fourth on the depth charters, fifth on their depth exactly. charters, whatever, when the season started. So I agree with you. It's hard to win in the National Football League when you have injuries, not just at key positions, but at just about any position. But the one position where you can plug in somebody is probably the running back position. Let's stick with the 49ers then. And uh, Matt Breida was undrafted. Matt Breida, undrafted. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, we could do a whole show on undrafted guys. Actually, I got a quick funny story for you. Not really funny. It's kind of, I guess it depends on who you are, which party you are in this story, whether you think it's funny, sad, entertaining, frustrating. So back in, I can't even remember the year anymore, Rick, but this is over 10 years ago. 
I represented a running back, and you know him well. He is from the University of Washington, Lewis Rankin. Now, Lewis Rankin was a beast at UW, 1,300-yard rusher. Al Davis loved this guy, okay? The thing was, he had drafted Darren McFadden as a first-round pick that year, and they got a, a, an undrafted free agent that they were high on named Marcel Reese, who had an outstanding career with the Raiders for a long time. So for those of you out there that don't really know the process, um, undrafted free agents sign on the last day of the draft. It's a mad scramble. You got teams calling agents left and right, trying to basically recruit. At that point, it's a recruiting job. Lewis Rankin had two bidders that were coming strong. The Raiders, as I mentioned, the other team was the Houston Texans. Now, Rick Smith personally called and said, he's our guy. We want to sign one guy and we want to plug him in, lose our guy. I was like, let me give you a call back at five minutes. Lewis being a spiritual guy, by the way, guys, he's Webster Slaughter's nephew. Uh, he, he wanted to prey on it with Webb for five minutes to call me back. When he called me back, he said, I'm going to go with the Raiders. I'm like, okay, I respect your decision. You're the boss. What you say goes. He signed with the Raiders. He ended up having a nice career in the NFL, bounced back and forth between the Seahawks and the Raiders, was in the league for, you know, about four years or something like that. The guy that Houston went to next on their depth chart for guys that they were looking at, Rick, is a guy by the name of Arian Foster. And when I look back at it, I'm like, wow, that's, that was their number two guy. Arian Foster led the league in rushing. Arian Foster was a pro bowler. He was an undrafted free agent. And I scratch my head sometimes. I'm like, would that have been Rankin if he had signed with the Texans? Would he have been the leading rusher? If it's a plug-and-play thing, that's definitely a possibility. But my point is that's... Those are the type of guys that are being called on on Sunday. Guys at that level, they were leading rushers at their universities. They were one of the best running backs in their conference and their respective conference. That's who your favorite team is asking to perform when they put them in these games. So like Rick said, strip away the draft round and all that you know, hype type stuff. These guys are all pretty good and can be difference makers. Uh, that's, that's my quick take on, on the running back position and the situation at hand with the Niners and with the Ravens. Real quick, what are your thoughts on the Niners game against Detroit? Uh, went out to a big lead, gave some of that up. Defense didn't look as good as we would necessarily expect, but Jimmy G and the offense clicked. Any impressions from that ballgame? I think having Trey Lance there has kind of ignited Jimmy G a little bit, and so I thought it was nice. They were up by like 21 points. They threw Trey Lance in there just to get his feet wet a little bit with that, you know, big 60-yard touchdown pass. So it was nice for him to uh, see some action, and I could see a Taysom Hill kind of role for Trey Lance as the season wears on, which you know could be very beneficial for the 49ers. Here we talk about the injuries. 
We talk about Jimmy Garoppolo and his durability concerns. One of the reasons why the Patriots got rid of him, I think Trey Lance being there uh, will ultimately pay dividends. And I, I see the 49ers, they're going to you know, be able to light up the scoreboard. Hopefully, on occasion, <laughs> they'll be able to play some defense. But they, they, they did let the Lions back in there at the end, which, you know, that's what's uh, the difference between contenders and pretenders. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, too, because uh, if you had told me that Brandon Ayuk would have taken a complete off day on the field, um, I, I wouldn't have thought that they would have put up the uh, point totals that they did. Uh, luckily for them, Debo Samuel came in real strong and had a game of a, of a career game for him, almost 200 yards receiving uh, and almost double-digit receptions. Rick, let's take a quick commercial timeout. And we'll come back, talk about our favorite plays for this weekend. I had a pretty good week. I know you had a pretty good week, too. So we'll share more details after this final commercial break. Please stay with us. We'll be back with more NFL Talk with Rick Ciratella of the NFL Draft Bible. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies radio show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. So I had somebody, Rick, tell me one time, yeah, uh, during football season, yeah, I usually just uh, fast forward uh, through you and Gino all the way until we get to the segment where you guys are giving out plays because that's my favorite segment of the uh, program. So uh, for those who have been listening, I really appreciate it. And we're going to ask you to hang on a little bit longer before we get into our plays, because I do want to talk a little bit of baseball with you, Rick. One of the hidden talents for Rick Saratella, because he's so consumed with football. Nobody knows how much baseball knowledge this guy has. Big Yankee fan as well. 
We go at it with one another because I'm a big Red Sox fan, as all our listeners probably already know. And uh, both our teams are maybe scratching their head a little bit in this AL East uh, race, not really for the division because Tampa's pretty much got that locked up, but for the wild card spot, man. It is unbelievable, the battle that is transpiring there in the AL East. You talk about a tough division with Toronto Blue Jays, Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, these are all teams with great records, 15 games above 500 or better. And so it's just been a roller coaster season for the Yankees. I've been a uh, emotional wreck, Mike, personally. You know, we <laughs> rattle off, you know, we rattle off 13 wins. We go 17 and five, then we lose a dozen games. We, we win a dozen games, then we lose a dozen games. I mean, uh, this team just really can't find their identity. And they have a stud in Garrett Cole who came back off of the hamstring injury and looked good. And of course, Aaron Boone took him out too early, of course, because he's this notebook maniac robot, even worse than Joe Girardi. I never thought I would see the day. But, hey, uh, the bullpen is a major concern. The bats are either boom or bust. Uh, Believe it or not, the Guardy party, Brett Gardner, has been providing stabilization with big hits in times of need. But the starting pitching is not great. The bullpen is the biggest concern. The bats go hot. The bats go cold. The roller coaster goes up. The roller coaster goes down. It's just going to be really an incredible uh, September to remember. Yeah, no doubt, man. You know, one team that hasn't been roller coastering lately, except for, uh, you know, going up, 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 and away, are the Toronto Blue Jays. This team has put together an offensive display. That's of a historic nature. I know they played Baltimore the other day, but in a doubleheader, each game, they scored 11 runs. And guess what? Those aren't full games that we're accustomed to. This isn't the doubleheader of old. We're talking seven-inning doubleheaders. And then what do they do? Then they come back and score 22 runs. I've never seen anything like that. The offensive display is unbelievable. Believable, and they're actually getting some decent pitching too. Definitely a team to uh, to worry about if if you're a fan of either of those teams. We may see Canada once again represented in the postseason. They're second in the division right now, uh, based on strength of schedule, um, but they're in a three-way tie with the Blue Jays, Yankees, and the Red Sox. Now, interestingly enough, even though they're all tied three ways, Rick. And I don't know how ESPN's analytics figures this out, but they have the Red Sox at a 71% chance to make the playoffs. 71.5 to be exact. They got Toronto at 63.8. And then they got the Yankees at 60.9. So almost a uh, 10 plus uh, percentage difference between the top and the bottom between three teams that have, you know, that are all eight games back in the division. Interesting stuff. You know what I mean, Rick? 
Yeah, I mean, considering how terrible ESPN is, I I feel better about my, uh, my New York Yankees now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I hear you, man. Uh, it's always good to do a, a job at ESPN. I just had to uh, go there, Mike. I'm sorry, I couldn't no, help myself. No, I'm, I'm glad but... that you did. Man. I'm glad that you, you know, did. You know, the Blue Jays. Though, I'll tell you, I mean, that's a team that maybe the Buffalo Bills can borrow some of that offense. They they need some help there. Well, uh, that's actually a perfect segue to uh, what we were going to talk about in this last segment, which are plays. I went, and, and, and all our listeners know I'm not a boastful guy, but I went 5-0 and in the point spread picks last week. So I got to let you guys know I went 5-0. and Now, you could take that one of two ways. You could take that as he's hot, I'm going to ride the hot hand, or... He's going to go 0-5 next week to balance things out because that's just the way it goes in the National Football League. One of the games I did love quite a bit, though, was the Steelers getting points against Buffalo. What did you see from Buffalo? Mm -hmm. Because from my perspective, uh, my main concern in analyzing the Bills is their lack of running game. You know, Moss and Singletary Mm -hmm. are decent they're not the type of backs that'll carry you for a whole season. Singletary, every time I think, you know what, he's going to bust out, um, he shows me why he's pretty much just a third-round type of back, can catch the ball um, on third and along. What are your thoughts about the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, I mean, they got the aforementioned Matt Breida there in Buffalo as well, but I kind of like, I mean, Scooter to me, Devin Singletary is a guy I like because I think he's a, a yards after contact running back, but that offensive line was uh, very poor. I know um, good friend uh, Deion Dawkins there, their left tackle, was coming off the COVID and battling for a couple weeks, lost 15, 20 pounds. And so, you know, the Bills really lost in the trenches on both sides of the ball. They got bullied. The offensive line got pushed around. On the defensive side, the pass rush was non-existent. And so you got to wonder now, like, Ed Oliver, hello. Uh, last time I saw you was on the back of a milk carton. Uh, you got all these star players now. <laughs> Gregory Rousseau is there and, and some big-time players on that defensive front. They got to start making some noise. And so while the offense did struggle, I think it's all, you know, from the inside out with the Buffalo Bills, they struggled inside the trenches. So the depth chart that's listed here by the way, has uh, Singletary being the one, Breida being the two, Moss actually the three. And I didn't even think that this guy is still in the league. Former Raider Taiwan Jones, who's 33 years old, is the fourth back listed for the Buffalo Bills. Whoa. Amazing stuff there, man. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> yeah. so I said that I went 5-0, and no, and uh, we're, our time is limited here, but I did want to let everybody know which games those were. For those who are tracking or following, those were Pittsburgh, the Saints, the Miami Dolphins, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Jets Carolina under. And by the way, if you notice, every one of those games that I picked, one straight up. They're getting points, but one straight up. Pittsburgh, one straight up. The Saints, one straight up. Miami, one straight up. Cincinnati, one straight up. And... Uh, the only one that couldn't is the Jets and the Carolina because that was an over-under play, and I went under there. I know you had a good week one as well, Rick. What are your thoughts about week two? Are there any lines that kind of jump out at you? I know you're in Atlantic City right now, so I'm guessing you're going to dole out of maybe a, a shekel or two this uh, weekend? 
Oh, no doubt. Big shout out to Cuba Libre and the staff there for accommodating me and making sure I got my skirt big on time so I could be here for the Mike Abadir show. I made sure of it. So, hey, here we go. Buckle up. Double chin strap affair. I got two plays for you, Mike. Uh, I'm going to start off with the Arizona Cardinals. You know I'm a big fan. I loved what I saw. They didn't just beat the Tennessee Titans. They routed the Tennessee Titans. And I think they're going to do that again to the Minnesota Vikings who lost to the Bungles. They look terrible doing it. You want to put Kirk Cousins in a track meet against Kyler Murray? Good luck. Thank you very much. I will lay the three and a half and see you later. The other one I'm going to give you, I'm going to come back around here. Let's see who I got, who I got, who I got. I'm going to go with those Kansas City Chiefs. It was two and a half. Now it's three and a half. By the time this game goes off, I believe it'll be four and a half. We go back to the tape. 13 players, you lost to the Raiders. You can't keep up. Kansas City's going to run you up and down the field. The uh, team just won't be able to compete. I love that it's on prime time, but sorry, the Chiefs are going to dictate this game. They're going to be up early, they're going to be up long, and they're going to be up big, and I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. Good stuff there. Okay, uh, my first play is, and I, for anybody that knows, that listens, that follows the show, I always repeat this, which is I don't like putting my money on bad teams, but there's a game that intrigues me here, which is the Patriots and the Jets. Um Look, I'm not a huge Wilson guy, but I actually kind of liked what I saw from the New York Jets. They looked like they were playing hard. At the very least, one can say that's that type of effort that I want out of uh, out of a young team with a young led by a young quarterback. I'm going to take the New York Jets here, getting six points at home against the Bill Belichick Patriots. I think they keep this game close. Not necessarily saying that they're going to win straight up like some of my other teams did last weekend, but I'm going to take the Jets and the points. Give me the other New York team. I'm going to roll with the Miami Dolphins. They're getting three points at home. I don't think that was a fluke of a win. I think this team is much improved. And uh, Flores is the real deal, man. So I'm loving me the Miami Dolphins getting three points at home. And uh, let's see here. I did have one more circled, and now I can't find my circle. Oh, there he goes. Another home underdog. A lot of them this week, Rick. I'm going to take the Indianapolis Colts, getting three and a half against the L.A. Rams, who looked superb on Sunday night. Don't get me wrong. But I thought I saw some things from the Colts that were very fixable. They're at home. Rams haven't been necessarily a great road team over the years, especially when they go back out east. So I will take the Indy Colts uh, as my last play for the weekend, Rick. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. I wish this was a three-hour program because you and I can just wrap for days upon days. But really quickly here, in 20 seconds or less, how can people follow your work online and NFL on Draft television? Bible. Yeah, I appreciate that. NFLDraftBible.com on Twitter at NFLDraftBible has everything we do, including state of football weekdays 9 a.m eastern your new home for real football talk in the morning hey i love chopping it up here on the mike abadir show we miss you gino i'll bring my axe next time i come along with the gold jacket thank you for having me michael absolutely you're the man as always thank you to our guest uh, matt derrick of the chiefs digest big thank you to you we love you rick we hope to have you again on with us soon like i said that's all the time we have for this week thank you for listening everyone we'll Enjoy your sports weekend. You know where we'll be. Same time, same place next week.
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.